so I did a good amount of direct mail and, and to couple that, uh, since I had a limited budget, I did more guerrilla style marketing, which was essentially door knocking a, a lot of properties and actually was able to get a couple. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, Reed Goosens here, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate. I hope you're having a great day. Thanks for dropping by and tuning in and continuing to grow your investing knowledge of U.S. real estate. Each week, we come to you live from Los Angeles, California, talking about all things related to U.S. real estate investing and how you too can successfully break into the U.S. market as an international investor, just like I did. Each episode, we'll be interviewing industry leaders, real estate entrepreneurs, and good old-fashioned go-getters who can help provide you the tools to start successfully investing in the U.S. So let's get into today's show. On today's show, we are giving you all the insider pointers on how to constantly get cracking off-market deals in a bullish market. The entrepreneur in the hot seat to answer all the questions is Dan Robles. G'day, Dan. Welcome to the show. Hey, Reid. How's it going? Good, mate. Good. Dan is another successful real estate entrepreneur who used to be a rat race runner before he broke free to become a full-time investor. Dan is the founder of Ridge Pine Properties, which is a full-service real estate company located here in Southern California, which specializes in the real estate development of single-family properties and multifamily properties throughout the state with an intention of gentrifying communities and encouraging home ownership. But Dan, before we dive into how you're still finding cracking deals in a bullish market, can you tell the listeners something that most people might not know about you unrelated to real estate investing? Sure. Yeah. Great question. So something totally unrelated. I mean, I've always been a bit of a nerd, whether it's school or or any random topic, but back when I was, uh, I believe, 12 years old, around there, I skipped fourth grade and therefore sort of like launched my, my my education and, and whole career path a little bit forward. So I ended up graduating a college when I was 20 years old and wow. thrown out there with the wolves, essentially. <laughs> and how did that come about? You, your parents just decided to throw you up a year? You, you're too smart or what? Uh, yeah, something like that. I, I don't know what happened since then, but <laughs> I, I uh, transferred schools. And the funny thing was I transferred from a public to a private school. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to the private school, a lot of the stuff I was learning – first couple months was like what I had learned the prior year. Right. So my parents talked to the, the teacher at the time and then they made me take the test and then I was good to go. Sweet. Passed so it. yeah, those public schools are giving a good, good, uh, good education out there. Yeah. Who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> so Dan, with that being said, can you give the listeners a little bit more in-depth look at your background? What, where you've come from, what did you study and what motivated you to get into real estate investing and eventually come to a point where you'd be able to leave your day job and become a full-time investor? Absolutely. Well, I was born and raised here in Southern California, the LA area. I graduated from college in 2008 uh, with a degree in finance. As you know, and all the listeners will probably know, is that that was a terrible time to graduate with a degree in finance, especially if you're trying to get a job, which I was in, in commercial real estate. No companies were hiring at the time. 
instead, every time I would cold call a company or, or even submit a resume, they're saying, we're, we're going to put in the pile. We're actually downsizing. So right. that wasn't very fun. I actually was fortunate enough to get a, a job, sort of a corporate financial analyst role at uh, 20th Century Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a great experience. It's a nice, large company. But essentially, wasn't really what I wanted to do. I was actually stuck there for about two and a half to three years. I'm still most of the time looking to to weasel my way into a commercial real estate role. Eventually, that did happen after enough networking and, and trying to to figure it out. Uh, I, I obtained a job with an institutional commercial real estate development company mm-hmm. as a financial analyst. So, so I was kind of the number cruncher, kind of the gatekeeper to all our deals. Whenever somebody came in, they'd run it by me and I'd, I'd do the first pass if it makes sense. And then we'd take it from there. So that was super great experience. It was very, uh, it was a challenging job, but it also, I mean, elevated my, my professional game a lot. And, and to, to go back to your question, how I eventually got to become an entrepreneur, it started, I guess, when I was young. I, I always had an, at some point in my mind that I wanted to become a, a bit business owner. You know, I wanted right. to own my own company. I never really knew at what time. I always assumed it was probably like somewhere in my 30s or, or 40s. Um, right. But I don't know. It, it just took a little motivation. Everything was uh, – prices went down in real estate with the economy, and, mm-hmm. and the timing was sort of – my brother had bought a property, kind of like a small fixer. And within the process of about uh, five to six months, I saw him add value and the price of that property skyrocket to, right. to where he almost made double his investment. And I was just like, wow. whoa, I'm in the, <laughs> yeah, I'm in the wrong, uh, <laughs> I'm in the wrong, sitting in the wrong chair right now. And, right. and at the time, like it was timing related. I was kind of, I mean, I'd always been challenged at that job and was pretty busy working uh, pretty good hours. So mm-hmm. it was actually around the time when I was uh, I had to work one night till like 2 a.m. or something like that, running numbers. Right. Uh, and I was the last person in the office and just kind of half doing my job, half contemplating why I'm still there. <laughs> so my brother invited me to go to a seminar with him around that time. And I went kind of with uh, I'm in commercial real estate. I'm a little bit better than your residential real estate <laughs> investing selves. <laughs> But then I saw some of the case studies and some of the people that uh, that they brought up up on their stage, and uh, and I was like, wow, these people are significantly making more money than I am, and I'm always a pretty competitive person. I'm like, well, if that guy could do it, why can't I do it? You know? Right. So Fantastic. so there therein started the the motivation, and then so I was actually 24 at the time, and what I always told myself was, all right, so I'm 24. If I quit my job now and uh, I don't do very well, like say a year or two down the line, I go to always come back to this chair. I have the experience. So that's kind of what kept me uh, sane in that decision. So I, I decided to quit my job and and start full time in, in single family residential investing after that. Fantastic. So how long between when your brother took you to see that seminar uh, until you sort of said to your boss, see you later? What was that time frame? At the time, it seemed like a long, like a long process, but mm-hmm. looking back, it was only like a month, a month and a half. Wow, really? <laughs> but but it was like the longest month and month and a half, you know, when you're really thinking about something, you're just thinking about it constantly and it just like seems to drag out. But right, right. looking back, it was a relatively quick decision. I, I just didn't really want to hesitate, you know, because I mean, a lot of the things that they teach you is like to take action. So I mean, essentially, yeah. I, I've had a few people on the show who have broken out of the rat race and they've, they've been a little bit different to yourself. 
well, by the sounds of it, it, it anyway, is that they sort of developed passive income to a point where they could break out of the rat race. It sounds like you just sort of did a Hail Mary and just said, well, uh, you know, if if, uh, if it doesn't work out, I'm always going to come back. But, I'm, you know, you, it sounds like if you, you're going to kick yourself if you didn't give this a crack, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, I mean, when I got started, I mean, everyone and their and their mom would tell me, like, no, you can't leave your job now. you got to generate enough passive income to, like, live. I mean, I had some money in savings, you know, not not a crazy amount, but I kind of took a bet on myself, you know. <laughs> Fantastic, mate. That's great. I, I love those type of stories. Taking a bet, that's that's great. I'm going to put that down in the uh, in the intro. Taking a bet on yourself because I know when your back's up against the wall, you sometimes can just produce some incredible things that you just didn't think you'll be able to do, you know, because you're in whether you be, oh, I'm getting a, I'm getting an income now. And then all of a sudden you stop your income. You're like, oh, wait, where's my next income coming from? It makes you a little bit more hungry to go out and, and you know, find that next deal or buy that next multifamily cash flowing property. So it sort of uh, puts the fire in the belly, so to speak. Yeah, definitely lights a, a fire under uh, your tail end for sure. <laughs> because that, that sudden change from going from a salaried income to no income is is pretty drastic, you know, right. and, then, and then that's like half the motivation. Half is like, hey, I want to build this business. So um, at least that, that's the way it was for me. It's sort of the uh, the oh, oh, this is real moment. <laughs> it, exactly, exactly. So there's uh, no looking back at that point. Cool, man. So so just uh, listeners on today's show, we're talking all about, as I mentioned, how to find cracking deals in a hot market and. As you know, markets constantly change and finding great deals can become more challenging as more investors, you know, try their hand at flipping or wholesaling uh, or even ground up development. And to give you a little bit of background on how Dan and I met, Dan and I met at a networking event in uh, Long Beach in Southern California about two years ago. And over this period, I noticed that Dan had been really successful in constantly finding good single family flips here in California, which is a very hot market. And some would say it's even a zoo out there when it comes to finding a solid single family flip project. So Dan, let's start at the beginning. Can you walk us through your strategy when you first started out, you quit your day job, you said, I'm, I'm going to do this full time. How are you going to find your first deal and what marketing strategies did you use to give you good lead generation to find that first cracking deal? The word zoo definitely sums up uh, the LA market for <laughs> sure. Yeah. When I first started, essentially, I mean, I had limited funds, you know, I had whatever I had in my savings and actually started it together with, with my family uh, on a limited budget, you know, very limited. So, so I'd say the first couple of strategies I use as far as marketing went were sort of direct mail. That's kind of if you're targeting homeowners directly, that's kind of the main piece where you'll get your highest quality leads. So I did a good amount of direct mail and, and to couple that, uh, since I had a limited budget, I did more guerrilla style marketing, which was essentially door knocking a, a lot of properties and actually was able to get a couple, uh, just through door knocking, you know, and it's not the most fun thing to do because you do get a lot of upset people. Sometimes the people you're targeting are in going through difficult situations, you know, and they, they don't really view the positives of what you're offering them. Those two were probably uh, some of the more popular ways if I was uh, marketing to homeowners directly. An another method uh, that everyone should use, it's, it's the MLS, trying to, to target properties that, that come up there that are distressed and that need some sort of work and, and need to be sold to a cash buyer investor. Just um, and just to, to sorry to interrupt, but for those international investors listening out there, can you Dan, can you explain what the MLS is for those people who might not know about what it is? 
Absolutely. Yeah. So it's the multiple listing service and it essentially is when you hire a real estate agent or broker to list your property. That's kind of where all properties get listed and that's how the open market sees your listings. Essentially, that's where I, I believe somewhere between 80 and 90 percent of properties sold are on the MLS. Residential, um, correct? Residential, yes, correct. Yep, correct, right, 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 right. Yes. So you started out doing your mailers, you're doing your guerrilla warfare style marketing and walking <laughs> around. <laughs> exactly. But how did you know who to target? You know, you couldn't just blanket, you know, a neighborhood. Was, was there any specific online searches you were trying to do or was there any specific types of deals or homeowners you're going after? Absolutely. First and foremost, you, it's more effective to do a, a targeted marketing approach. For example, if you're mailing to someone rather than mail to a whole particular, say, zip code or, or neighborhood, it'd be a lot a lot better for a cash buyer to market to, for example, a pre-foreclosure list, someone that has motivation to, to sell their property. They, they may have a pending foreclosure coming up at some point. Or if it's a, a property that, that is inherited, oftentimes you, you'll see it a lot is people um, in our generation, actually, that inherit property and essentially can't afford it. So they need to do something with it. They're no longer paying their taxes. They can't upkeep the house. Um, so they, they usually uh, will, will want to find some sort of exit strategy. And if their property is not in great condition, you can often buy it as a cash investor. And uh, another thing that I, I always just consistently do, even since since I started, if I'm driving anywhere, you know, and I see a, a property that, that looks like it hasn't been taken care of, I'll, I'll write down the address, add that to my, to my mailing list, to my Excel spreadsheet, if right. you will. And is there any sort of so you're you're looking for these these properties which are in foreclosure? You're looking for uh, you know people who have inherited the property and don't want it, can't own it anymore. They really just want to get out of it. So it's the motivated sellers you're looking for. The next question I'm going to ask is is what neighborhood? Obviously, LA has a, a, a an A to Z of neighborhoods. There's the Beverly Hills and then there's the slums. So what neighborhood were you targeting when you first started out? Because uh, I guess that would also lend yourself to how successful you were and also how much money you had available to you at the time. Exactly. That's a great question. I'd say the neighborhoods I've targeted haven't changed too drastically since I started. But definitely uh, when I when I started, I was targeting uh, I was targeting even within my general target market, just targeting even more to lower priced properties because that was something that was less risky and, and something we could afford and, and get our feet wet, you know? I, I wouldn't say that I target like the Beverly Hills type neighborhoods. There usually isn't a lot of distress in those properties. The way I look at it now is I, I want to buy a property that is going to sell quickly. So a property that's going to have the biggest pool of end buyers at the end. A big thing that I look at here in the U.S. at least is look at where FHA's ranges are, for example, on loans that they will lend on. I, be, I believe in uh, in LA, because it varies from county to county. LA and Orange County are slightly different. I think San Bernardino and Riverside County are a little bit less. I believe for LA, it's around 635000 or so um, and below are the loans they'll give. So FHA is a great, like a big pool of buyers, you know, when you're selling your property. So if I want to capture that that pool of end buyers, I, I probably want to market to properties below that amount. Once you get above that amount, you're, you're dealing with jumbo loans and then properties that 
potentially don't have as many sellers trying to trying to buy them. So I, I kind of want to be where the, the median price point is, where there's the most amount of players, you know. Mm-hmm. So just to, for those listeners out there, an FHA loan is typically a low interest loan. It, it typically requires a little bit less down uh, in terms of down payment. And they're usually primary, you know, they're, they're homeowners. They're not necessarily investors who are people who are taking these these loans out. Um, there are ways to become an investor if you uh, was, was to get a loan, but the, the one of the requirements are you have to live in the property for a certain period of time. So so Dan is essentially targeting those neighbourhoods which qualify for FHA loans, which is $650,000-odd or less. Now, $650,000 is still a lot of money, but there's, <laughs> <laughs> but there's still uh, there's still a lot, ton of buyers out there because they can go down and put, you know, Three five percent down, get a very nice low interest rate of three and a half to four percent, and they can live on. You know, they can get into a home very easily, and they they're trying to encourage home ownership here in the United States. So, Dan, do, so you you do your you're walking around, you do your mailing letters. How did you stand out when you first? Because obviously, not you're not the only one here in LA who is marketing these distressed homeowners. How did you stand out in your letters to those when you were mailing to them? And what's made you stand apart from those other uh, investors trying to find those cracking deals? As far as standing out in, in the, the letters, I'd say it's more so just staying in front of people at all times. If I'm if I'm targeting a homeowner, I, I mean, I want to make sure I'm mailing them, I don't know, somewhere between five, six or seven times so that they, they see my marketing piece and, and they sort of, they may not internalize it the first first one or two times, you know, but after they start seeing it for a while, they they might become more familiar with it and open to the option. Um, whereas you'll see sometimes a lot of a lot of investors that come into the market, uh, they'll try, for example, I'm just going to throw out a number, like they'll try a thousand mailers once and then say, oh, it didn't work. I, I got one or, or no calls, you know, <laughs> I'm not doing this anymore, you know, whereas I think the key is being consistent and sending it out on a consistent basis. So rather than send a thousand, I mean, I'd say send 200, 250 at a time, like every month or, or week or, or whatever your budget allots for. Uh, but as long as you, you do it consistently and stay in front of people, uh, I, I'd say that's, that's a, a key strategy. And on top of that, I say when you do get a lead and, and you set an appointment with that lead, say you're not able to come to terms. I think another key is to, to have a strong follow up program. You know, I, I wasn't very good at this, uh, starting out, but, Definitely, there have been a couple of transactions where if I hadn't followed up, I mean, I would have never, never have gotten, you know, and, and especially here in L.A., like each deal, if you buy it right, I mean, it's a significant amount of money that you could earn on it. So you're only cheating yourself if you're not following up and, and trying to be in front of your target market at all times. Right. And Dan, just to take one more step backwards, those leads or those places, is there any websites out there that you can use to help you find those people who are more motivated, i.e. foreclosures or probates or, or the, the sort of targeted homeowners that you're trying to go after? Sure. There there's so many websites out there. I mean, a simple Google, Google search will, will help you a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. some that I could think of off the top of my head are like, it used to be called foreclosure radar. Now it's property radar. They have a list of, of pre-foreclosure properties. I mean, there's tons of different probate lead sites. I believe like U.S. probate leads is, is one, mm-hmm. but there's several out there if you want to target th- those types of leads. Uh, I, I mean, really, in L.A., there's even if you go into the, the city website, there there's even like certain lists that the city keeps track of of properties that haven't been 
upkept, you know, city inspectors will go around and they'll keep a list and it's a publication offered to, to the public. It's just ma- many different ways to find properties. And, and, and more, more so than that, I'll go back to just a matter of uh, taking action, mm-hmm. mailing out to them and being consistent because if, if the tools are there, if you don't use them, it's not going to work essentially. Right, right, yeah. right. And so when you started out, Dan, how much were you putting aside or how much were you putting into your marketing budget? Because a lot of people, are, you know, when people first start out or, you know, they're international investors, they want to try and find a deal here. They're using other people's sort of leads or whatnot. How can they qualify a lead uh, when it comes across their desk? And, and what, are, what are you doing to qualify your leads? So the budget was very minimal when I started. Obviously, you're, you're not sure as to how everything works. Obviously, marketing is the backbone to any business. So you have to spend money in order to, to get money back. You know, it's, it, it's something that most people starting out struggle with, including mm-hmm. me. I mean, I, I had a very limited budget, probably was only spending around a couple hundred bucks a, a month. You know, that's right. how, that's how like scared I was to, to throw money into this. But, but essentially, and, and it's all a process, you know, because once you get that first transaction, it, it shows you that it works. Mm-hmm. Then you're like, okay, I need to do more marketing. You now have more money to, to, to put into marketing. Right now, my budget, together with my my business partner, we're actually dumping in uh, just over five grand a month, you know, wow. um, just to get to get money back. Right. Um, something that I would have never even thought of, and, and or even a process back when I started, you know. Right, but, right, right, right. Yeah, the second part to the question was more as as an international investor qualifying your leads, mm-hmm. and how are you qualifying your leads when you when you find someone you know, who calls you up and says, Hey Dan, I've got a property to sell. What are the sort of quick, you know, elevator pitch questions you ask this person to either say, yeah, this is, this is going to suit my investing criteria or it doesn't suit my investing criteria. Sure. Uh, a big part of what I, I do is finding sellers that are motivated. You know, I'd say probably 95 or more percent of the calls that come in are, are people that I'm not going to buy their property. <laughs> I mean, I, I try not to qualify too much, but you could get a sense of the level, level of motivation from, I mean, simple questions such as like, why are you looking to sell your house? Is, is there a reason? Are you moving or, or are you backed up on bills or, or something? They usually have a motivating factor. Um, and, and for them to sell at a discount, there has to be some, some sort of big pain or motivating factor. Otherwise, if they had no pain, they would just sell it on the open market and get, get the biggest bang for their buck, you know? Right. Um, so sort of asking questions, uh, to that end, you know, just be, and I'm pretty transparent in the fact that yes, I do buy properties under market. We're not for everyone. Um, mm-hmm. but, but there are benefits of working with us, you know, and these are benefits that are, I mean, we could close quickly, close on their timeline. Essentially we pay all cash. There's no financing contingencies involved. We, we actually do our own, own inspections. We don't send like a home inspector. We have experience doing it, of course, but we could visually inspect the property and, and they don't have to put in any money or for repairs or, or anything like that. And, and on top of that, they don't have to pay, pay a realtor. So those are some of the benefits that, that we offer. But even with that, we're still buying at a discount, you know, and we, we totally let them know right. and they're full, fully aware of it. Um, and, and like I said, most people will want to sell their property on the open market if they have uh, the means and the time to be able to, but we, we buy into more of situations than, than just properties is what I'd say. Right. 
Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, uh, listeners, a couple of weeks ago, Dan and I actually bumped into each other out in Phoenix, Arizona, and I know Dan was out there for a seminar. Dan, do you want to talk us a little bit about why you're out there and the franchise you've recently purchased to help you with your lead generation? And it's sort of come now full circle. You talked a little bit about how little you're spending when you first started out per month on your marketing budget, and I think you just threw out a number of five or $8,000 a month? <laughs> 5000 and we're actually looking up at to, to eight starting wow. January, February. Yeah. yeah. So talk us a little bit about what, what this new franchise and direction is going to help you with your marketing and, and essentially help grow your business. So I guess I'll start with uh, how the idea came across to me. So, yep. um, and, and everything in real estate is all people and networking, you know? The, so my, my business partner now is actually, he was a real estate broker that I, I bought a property from yeah. <laughs> back when I was just doing the family thing, you know. Uh, so essentially, he had a property, a short sale that uh, I submitted an offer on, and uh, we ended up uh, getting it approved by the bank, and we bought the property. We, we did pretty well in it, and, and in order to create sort of a, a reciprocal uh, positive relationship with him, I, I asked him to list my property. And he kind of saw, he got a glimpse into what I was doing, what I had done to the property. And he had been a real estate broker for about a little bit over a decade, I, I think. He became interested in, in wanting to do the same thing, buy an investment property. Is that actually came from him that he, he pitched to me. It's this company called Homevestors. If you're from, I guess, somewhere internationally, you probably wouldn't recognize them. But a lot of people here in the U.S. would recognize them there. If you see, if you're ever driving around, they're the "We Buy Ugly Houses" uh, billboards you see everywhere. So they're they're that company. They're they're based, I guess, the franchise or Homevestors is based out of Dallas, but they have uh, franchisees in, in all the major uh, local markets. So John, my partner, uh, that's his name. Uh, he sort of pitched me the idea of, yeah, continuing investing properties, partnering with him, but doing it through this Homevestors uh, franchise and. And there, there are many benefits. I mean, everyone recognizes the, the We Buy Ugly Houses of billboards. You know, they have the whole branding behind them, which as a small mom and pop guy, it's kind of tough to develop a brand um, until you become a lot bigger. So you sort of buy into this uh, this franchise and, and leverage their, uh, their branding and their lead generation uh, abilities, you know. Um, the, the way it works now is that there's about – 30, 35 franchisees here in LA alone, and it's grown significantly in the last two years. We all allot our, our money into a pool uh, as far as marketing goes into a budget that with that budget, we pay a nationally, national advertising company to essentially fulfill all the marketing, whether it be direct mail, online leads, or billboards or whatnot. You know? so, so now we, we use the power of the brand to give us more quality leads. And that's kind of, I, I was out in Phoenix uh, at the annual convention. I had actually recently joined uh, Homevestors, but the annual convention is every December. So I was out there and I know we randomly bumped into each other, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. You know, you see pooling all your money together. Is Have you started to see uh, an uptick in the quality of your leads coming through? Because I know as the market starts to heat up and we're coming, you know, if you look at the, the, the historical data, some some would say that house prices here in, the, in LA are at or above pre-recession values. So mm-hmm. how are you, is this helping you find those better leads as the market heats up, this, this home investors? The way I'd answer that is, uh, again, 
more so than, than the market heating up or, or, or trying to track the market, we mainly target people in difficult situations that, right. that need, need to sell at a discount regardless of where property values are. You know? Okay. So, so I'd say as far as finding those types of people in those situations, it has helped a lot because rather than tracking and measuring a smaller sample size of my own marketing, we, we track and measure everything out of like, I think our budget's usually somewhere between 150 or 200,000 right. uh, a month as a, as a pool. And with that, we're able to get a lot better tracking as to what, it, what is working best and what's not and where to tweak. So it's been really helpful in that regard. And yeah, the, the, the leads, they're generally uh, a bit more qualified, you know, I mean, you still get the take me off your list type leads, which <laughs> they're, they're always fun, fun to answer, but. So are uh, you still doing the uh, guerrilla marketing warfare now, uh, <laughs> now that you've got home besters? <laughs> Not as much as I'd like to, you know, I, it's just, there, there's so many things that, I mean, my business partner, John and I are working on right. that definitely takes time. And, and I, right. I think our goal would be to eventually hire someone that, that has more of more bandwidth to be able to, to do that kind of stuff because it is a very effective uh, type of marketing, you know, mm-hmm. but right now we're sort of taking the approach of uh, marketing to the masses and then having them uh, call us versus trying to seek them out. But yeah, I mean, at some point I, I would like to, at some capacity, uh, get back into that style of marketing because it, it definitely did work for me starting out. And it was very, I guess, from a dollar's perspective, uh, it was cost effective. Right, right, right. So, Dan, with with that being said, what has been the biggest learning experience to date that has shaped your success in the U.S. market? There's been many learning experiences. I wouldn't necessarily say it's shaped my success, but one one of the main things I've learned is to essentially not celebrate a, a deal or a transaction until it's closed and in the books. Um, I've fallen victim uh, to this uh, early on, whereas I, I get a property under agreement under contract. Uh, and then uh, I'm the happiest person high-fiving everyone thinking I just had a, a home run deal without really more so focusing on myself and, and not so much on the client slash seller on their needs. Sure enough, uh, days later, this lead, one that I could think of in particular, called back and said that they decided to go with another investor. And I purely think it's because it was over over the weekend. I didn't get back in touch with her until probably the next Tuesday. Right. Uh, so so instead of uh, trying to to fulfill all their needs, I'm sure someone else came in, and I don't know if it was price. It could have been price, but I I think it's more of more often than not the 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 sellers that we buy from the biggest motivating factor isn't price. It's trying to meet that need, and, and I, I learned throughout time that that not to focus so much on the dollars or, or essentially celebrate something too early mm-hmm. and focus more on, on what that person is trying to accomplish with the sale of their property, you know, um, and trying to help them out with that. So if I focus on that, um, you know, the dollars will follow that, you know, just kind of t- taking that approach. That's a great motto to have. And it's, it's, it's funny, you know, you say that because it, real estate investing is a, is all of, is a people's, you know, game, sport, business, whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, if you don't have those good interpersonal relationships with certain people, whether it be the buyer or the seller, you know, or, or other people or investors or, you know, other business owners, you're not going to be successful. In, and that's, that's really, that's a good one. That's probably one of the better answers I've heard. So great <laughs> <Thanks>. stuff. <laughs> uh, looking forward, what are you doing to build on your business and grow as a real estate entrepreneur here in the United States? Something to focus on at, 
every stage of investing, whether it is uh, early on, you're, you're a newbie, you're getting into it, or you're an experienced investor, I think the quickest path to wealth in real estate is through passive income investing, mm-hmm. um, something that sometimes you, you just get bogged down with work and, and you don't necessarily think think about investing in your future. You rather get the instant gratification of, for example, in my situation of doing a, a fix and flip property very short term rather than analyzing on, on the future and, and thinking of keeping it, you know, because right. wealth is built uh, through, especially in today's times when mortgages are, the interest rates are relatively low uh, compared compared to like historical rates. It's a great idea to, to lock down a property um, with, with a low interest mortgage and have it cash flow for you um, positively while you're paying that debt down and building equity. You know, that's, that's truly how you build wealth in real estate. And, and a goal of mine is to buy, uh, I guess, more into those types of properties and, and maybe save one out of every three or four that I would flip, try, try to hold on to them and, and retain them long term to, to build that wealth. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that's that's and that's exactly right. Building that long-term wealth, and I'm sure you're seeing a lot of great deals. And and as you sort of going, you went back to and saying you want that instant gratification of the flip. Maybe it's taking a step back and saying, okay, can I afford to hold this property right now? Um, but I, you know, you might have a number of you know bills you need to pay or whatever it needs to be to keep <laughs> the doors open. So you have mm-hmm. to sometimes are forced into selling it into, in, as a flip or. But you definitely want to keep that eye on the prize, and that is to build that long-term wealth. Build your portfolio so in 5, 10, 15 years' time, that, that portfolio is worth you know 10 times more than, than what it was when you first purchased it. So, so great stuff. Exactly. And the name of the game is to essentially when you create passive income, you know, you're generating the income without having to, to do any work, essentially. Exactly. Assuming, you, for example, if you have a property manager, a great property manager, the work you're putting into is very limited and you're seeing all the returns – uh, that's the way to go. Whereas you work your tail off trying to create active income. Right. If you have it coming back to you passively, I mean, wh- what investor wouldn't want want that, you know, exactly. in their portfolio? <laughs> exactly. So Dan, with all your experience in flipping houses in a bullish market here in uh, the US, I know you're primed to give me your top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Absolutely. So, mate, what's the most successful habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? This isn't directly tied to real estate, but for me, I think a huge part of being a successful uh, business owner, entrepreneur, is just kind of keeping clean what's in between your ears, you know, mm-hmm. because it's easy to get a, a lot of negative uh, negative feedback or, or negative thoughts or emotions uh, on, on a day-to-day basis that I kind of get you off track. For, for me, everyone has their own rituals, but two minor things that help me out a, a lot um, on a day-to-day basis are like the, the day before or the night before, excuse me, I like to create my schedule or sort of the outstanding items that need to be accomplished for that next day and, and that, that week. So I have them fresh in my head. And then uh, I'm an early riser, as you know, I, mm-hmm. I get up at 4 a.m. every day. The first thing I do when I wake up, I mean, I have breakfast and then I, I go to the gym and sort of get energy that way, you know, right. you, you, you need to create some sort of sustainable energy. And, and, and so, so when, once I hit my desk, whether it's eight or 9am, uh, I, I hit the ground running, you know, I'm like fully up to speed. I'm caught up on everything. My schedule's fully set and I, I know exactly what I need to do, you know, as other people are just 
strolling in trying to figure it out, you know. <laughs> so that kind of helps. That helps me a ton. Fantastic. That's great stuff. Getting up early, setting goals or your, your to-do list the night before, um, keeping fit and uh, keeping it clean between the ears. I love that little motto. So I might have to use that uh, on the show a little bit more. So, mate, what's the, most, uh, what's the most influential tool you use in your real estate business and why? We talked about it earlier, but, but the MLS, uh, okay. you, you can't function uh, in real estate or real estate investing or even just real estate in general without the MLS, that's where all the properties get listed. And from an investor's perspective, whether you're finding properties to buy on there or not, you still need it to analyze your investment properties that, that for example, you meet with a seller, you kind of have a, a sense of uh, what you want to offer, but like you need to know exactly what you're going to be able to exit that property at. If you're going to go in and, and rehab a property, for example, what are the top properties that are rehab selling uh, at that point in time? Without the MLS, it's kind of tough to, to access that data. So a, a tip for, for new investors is if you don't have access to it, try to get licensed or, or, or get access to it whatever way you can uh, as quickly as possible because that's, that's going to determine your success in the business, uh, all the data that comes in through the MLS. Fantastic. Dan, what's the most exciting project you're working on right now? I'll say exciting uh, because it's <laughs> very minimal work and it's actually a, a wholesale transaction mm -hmm. that my partner, John, and I uh, recently tied up. As you know, I mean, I primarily do fix and flip properties. So I'm usually rehabbing properties it takes anywhere from three to six months to exit. You know, right. uh, this one is actually very quickly. We put it under contract and it's actually another home investors uh, franchisee uh, that we're wholesaling it to. And, and for us, it's a great exit strategy, you know, because our cost of money and, and capital is much greater than that home investors franchisee. And, and they're fully experienced. They have their own uh, rehab crew. So for us, with the wholesale transaction, we're seeing about 80% of the profit uh, with 10% of the, the time and work. Uh, right. uh, I'd say always keep your exit strategies open when, when you go into a transaction, whether you're going to hold it for a little bit or try to exit early. Just try to evaluate all your cards and, and go from there. But right. wholesaling is definitely a, a fun part of the business because it creates uh, cash flow quickly. Right. And, and just quickly run us through some of the numbers on that deal. Sure. So we put it under contract at uh, $325. We're wholesaling for $395. Okay. And uh, it's worth fixed up around $550. Wow. So $325,000. You put it under contract a month later, you're going to you know, hand the agreement or the purchase and sales agreement to another person who's going to pay you three ninety five. That's a very, very nice little profit. <laughs> in, Absolutely. In 30 days, right, I assume? Yes, yes, yes. Fantastic. Well, it's, the way we buy our properties, we kind of close on the seller's timeline. They kind of wanted to wait till after the holidays. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so we're yeah, we're just sitting here waiting. We could have closed this sooner, but... I mean, it's, it's still nice to know it's in the pipeline. Right, great, great, great. Mate, who's the most influential person in your career? This might be a, a bit of a cookie cutter answer because, <laughs> I, I mean, as far as real estate and learning real estate, there's so many people that have, that have helped and mentored and whatnot. But I'd say like real estate or any other business, uh, it, it's back to going what's in between your, your ears. You know, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. Real estate's just our vehicle as, as investors here. Uh, that, that we generate money. But if you're in any other industry, you, you need to ha have the positive motivation and, and the passion to move forward. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think what's uh, the, the 
and I'll say persons because the persons that have been most influential have been, I mean, for me, my parents, you know, since I was, I was a kid, they've always pushed me to strive for something more. And that drive was built in. I mean, real estate didn't even exist at that time, but the drive's just been in there. Mm-hmm. And I just, it just so happened I found real estate and the drive is there. And that's the vehicle I'm using to essentially try and build, uh, build my wealth. Fantastic. And so I know we might have already talked about this, but the best deal you've done to date, now I don't know if it's the one you just told me about or there's someone, another deal back in the back in the day that you know got you started. I've been fortunate to have a, a good amount of really, really nice deals, but I'd say the best deal and primarily because uh, it, it's when I didn't really know very much. It's my first deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't the most profitable one I, I've had, but it sort of uh, got me into believing that, hey, this does work. And uh, for any newbies out there, it, it took me just around six months to get that first transaction. So imagine what's going on in your headspace after six months of, of no income, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, so, so it was a deal we ended up wholesaling, but uh, it, it really taught me like, hey, this does work. And, you know, and, it, and everything builds on, on, builds momentum from there, you know, right, after right. that deal, like we quickly got the next one and then the next one, and they start piling up, you know, right. whereas before you just, you're, you're kind of getting your feet when you don't really know if the process works. And a lot of people within six, six months would quit. I mean, to be honest, I've seen a lot of people in and out already, right. but uh, yeah, that first one was, uh, was one of the best ones. Yeah. You, you're actually one of, um, one of a few people who on this show who've said that their first deal, and I know myself personally, the first deal I ever did was, uh, the, the best deal I ever did was my first deal. Again, I didn't make a ton of money on it. Uh, I only just recently sold it, but you do so much more analysis paralysis, I used to say. Mm-hmm. And, you, know, you just got to get your feet wet. You got to get, you got to jump into it because there's no better learning than diving in the deep end. Obviously, you got to understand the risks and understand how to underwrite it, but until you're dealing with the property managers, the general contractors, the you know the title insurance, all these sort of things that you don't uh, you don't experience and you can read in a book, but until you do it first time, it, you know it doesn't really resonate. It's night and day for sure. <laughs> it's, it sounds very easy at the seminars and in the books, and right, right, but, right? But nothing is like getting the experience hands on. You know that's where you really learn. Um, and, and for that reason, you know, like you said, it's not the most profitable deal, but. Uh, it definitely long-term gets the mindset right that you could be successful in this business. And goes back to your saying of uh, keeping it clean between the ears. And uh, I guess that sort of, that helps motivate you or is a motivating factor, as you said, that because you, you realize that the system works. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Dan, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? You could uh, reach me in several places. If you want to add me on LinkedIn, it's Daniel Robles, R-O-B-L-E-S. Or you can uh, shoot me an email, and that's drobles at Ridge Pine Properties, and I'll spell that out. That's R-I-D-G-E, pine as in pine tree, properties, plural, dot com. Fantastic. Well, Dan, you've given the listeners some great insight into successful techniques you are doing to land those elusive deals. You talked a lot about uh, about how you started out doing your guerrilla warfare marketing. Now you've moved into more of a mainstream streamlining the marketing process and using other people's budgets and abilities to help uh, or, or help as a leverage to find more deals. So thanks, mate, for dropping in and chatting with us and have enjoy the rest of your day and we'll catch up soon. Anytime, Reed.
Well, there you have it, a great insight into some very successful techniques in advertising and marketing to help you land those elusive deals in a bullish market. And a great story about breaking out of the rat race and sort of just giving it a Hail Mary and pursuing his goals. Truly inspiring stuff. If you are an investor interested in learning more about some of the techniques Dan spoke about, shoot him an email. All my guests on this show are more than happy to help other investors successfully break into the US. Now, make sure you check out all the show notes for a summary of today's conversation with Dan and any links we mentioned on today's show. A summary of our conversation will go up on my website at rsmpropertygroup.com. Just remember to click on the podcast tab. Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in and continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge as that's what we're all about here on this show, to continue to grow your financial IQ. To continue the conversation with me and to find out what deals I'm currently working on, go to my website and sign up for one of my newsletters or you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for RSM Property Group. And remember to leave a five-star iTunes review below as we really would appreciate it as it helps us grow our community of international investors eager to invest in the US. So until next week, take care, be safe and remember, happy investing. Thank you.